The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. This is the London Visited Podcast on your favourite podcast provider, bringing to you the facts, history and information about different parts of this great capital. If you have been to London, are planning on visiting, live here or just love London from afar, then this is the podcast for you. Hi, I'm Steve and welcome to our podcast. We're here for all things London and to tell you more behind some of the iconic places and people in London's history. In this episode, we go to Somerset House, which is a fantastic building on the north side of the Thames, right by Waterloo Bridge, and used for so many different events. But today we're going to look at its history. Don't forget to visit and subscribe to our YouTube channel, London Visited, to see videos covering this place and so many others across London. Also, if you love the podcast and the channel, why not join us as a member? Join our group of what we like to call our London Visited Crown Jewels, where there are many different benefits, including a members only monthly podcast. Have a look by going to patreon.com forward slash London Visited. And now to this week's podcast. Somerset House is a neoclassical complex situated on the south side of the Strand in central London, overlooking the River Thames just east of Waterloo Bridge. The Georgian era quadrangle was built on the site of a Tudor palace, Old Somerset House, originally belonging to the Duke of Somerset. The present Somerset House was designed by Sir William Chambers begun in 1776 and was further extended in the Victorian era with outer wings to the east and west in 1831 and 1856 respectively. The site of Somerset House stood directly on the River Thames until the Victorian Bankman Parkway was built in the late 1860s. The Great Georgian era structure was built to be a grand public building housing various government and public benefit society offices. Its present tenants are a mixture of various organisations, generally centred around the arts and education. In the 16th century, the Strand, the north bank of the Thames, between the City of London and the Palace of Westminster, was a favoured site for the mansions of bishops and aristocrats, who could commute from their own landing stages upriver to the court or downriver to the city and beyond. In 1539, Edward Seymour, first Earl of Hertford, obtained a grant of land when Chester Place, outside Temple Bar, London, from his brother-in-law, King Henry VIII. When his nephew, the young King Edward VI, came to the throne in 1547, Seymour became Duke of Somerset and Lord Protector. In about 1549, he pulled down an old inn of Chancery and other houses that stood on the site and began to build himself a palatial residence, making liberal use of other nearby buildings, including some of the Chantry chapels and cloisters of St Paul's Cathedral, which were demolished partly at his behest as part of the ongoing dissolution of the monasteries. It was a two-storey house built around a quadrangle, with the gateway rising to three storeys, and it was one of the earliest examples of Renaissance architecture in England. It is not known who designed the building. Before it was finished, however, the Duke of Somerset was overthrown, attained by Parliament, and in 1552 was executed on Tower Hill. Somerset Place, as the building was referred to, then came into the possession of the Crown, the Duke's royal nephew's half-sister, the future Queen Elizabeth I, lived there during the reign of her half-sister, Queen Mary I, between 1553 and 1558. 
The process of completion and improvement was slow and costly. As late as 1598, John Stowe refers to it as yet unfinished. On the 18th of August 1604, Somerset House was the probable location for negotiations, known as the Somerset House Conference, that culminated in the Treaty of London and concluded the 19-year-old Anglo-Spanish War. The conference was the subject of an oil-on-canvas painting depicting the 11 representatives of the governments of England, Spain and Spanish Netherlands, seated around a conference table, probably in old Somerset House. During the 17th century, the house was used as a residence by royal consorts. In the reign of King James I, the building was the London residence of his wife, Anne of Denmark, and was renamed Denmark House. She commissioned a number of expensive additions and improvements, some to designs by Inigo Jones. In 1609, Simon Basil and William Goldrose made steps and terraces in the garden. Anne of Denmark built an orangery and employed a French gardener and hydraulic engineer, Salmon de Course. He built a fountain known as the Mont Paris, with a grotto carved with seashells and a black marble female figure representing the River Thames. The fountain was topped by a statue of Pegasus. A surviving cistern for the fountain in nearby Strand Lane was misidentified as a Roman bath. The refurbished palace was the setting for elaborate entertainments at the wedding of Anne's lady-in-waiting, Jean Drummond, on the 3rd of February 1614, including a mask at Hyman's Triumph written by Samuel Daniel. After his death in April 1625, King James's body was brought from Theobald's to lie in state at Denmark House. The state rooms were hung with black cloth. At this period, there was no chapel at Denmark House, and so the Great Hall was adapted, and the body was moved there before the funeral at Westminster Abbey. Between 1630 and 1635, Inigo Jones built a chapel where Henrietta Maria of France, the wife of King Charles I, could exercise her Roman Catholic religion. A small cemetery was attached and some of the tombstones are still to be seen built into one of the walls of the passage under the present quadrangle. Royal occupation of Somerset House was interrupted by the Civil War and in 1649 Parliament tried to sell it. They failed to find a buyer although the sale of the contents realised the very considerable sum, for that time, of £118,000. Use was still found for it, however. Part of it served as an army headquarters, with General Fairfax, the parliamentarian's commander-in-chief, being given official quarters there. Lodgings were also provided for certain other parliamentarian notables. It was in Somerset House that Lord Protector Oliver Cromwell's body lay in state after his death in 1658. Two years later, with the restoration, Queen Henrietta Maria returned and in 1661 began a considerable program of rebuilding, the main feature of which was a magnificent new riverfront, again to the design of the late Inigo Jones who had died at Somerset House in 1652. However, she returned to France in 1665 before it was finished. It was then used as an occasional residence by Catherine of Braganza, wife of King Charles II. During her time, it received a certain notoriety as being, in the popular mind, a hotbed of Catholic conspiracy. Titus Oates made full use of this prejudice in the fabricated details of the Popish plot, and it was alleged that Sir Edmund Barry Godfrey, whose murder was one of the great mysteries of the age, had been killed in Somerset House before his body had been smuggled out and thrown into a ditch below Primrose Hill. Somerset House was refurbished by Sir Christopher Wren in 1685, after the Glorious Revolution in 1688, Somerset House entered on a long period of decline, being used, after Queen Catherine left England in 1692, for grace and favour residences. In the conditions of this time, this meant that almost inevitably that little money could be found for its upkeep, and a slow process of decay crept in. 
Puerto Rico, we call ourselves Boricua. We are proud, passionate, and full of life. On our island, adventure finds you. Strangers aren't strangers for long. The size of the audience doesn't change the beauty of the music. And we celebrate every last ray of sun. Live Boricua. This is the smell of a warm three-day-old egg salad sandwich in a wimpy trash bag. Wimpy, wimpy, wimpy! Blech! And this is the smell of that same sandwich in a hefty, ultra-strong trash bag with new Fabuloso lemon scent. Hefty, hefty, hefty! <sighs> smell the difference? When life gives you stinky, get Hefty Ultra Strong with new Fabuloso lemon scent. It smells like clean, freshly picked lemons. So no matter what's inside your trash, you can stop the stink and smell the lemon. During the 18th century, however, the building ceased its royal associations. Though the view from its terraced river up front, open to the public, was painted twice in his London visit by Canaletto, looking up and down river, it was used for storage, as a residence for visiting overseas dignitaries, and as a barracks for troops. Suffering from neglect, Old Somerset House began to be demolished in 1775. Since the middle of the 18th century, there have been growing criticism that London had no great public buildings. Government departments and learned societies were huddled away in small old buildings all over the city. Developing national pride found comparison with the capitals of continental Europe disquieting. Edmund Burke was the leading proponent of the scheme for national building and in 1775, Parliament passed an act for the purpose of inter alla, erecting and establishing public offices in Somerset House and for embanking parts of the River Thames laying within the bounds of the Manor of Savoy. The list of public offices mentioned in the Act comprised the Salt Office, the Stamp Office, the Tax Office, the Navy Office, the Navy Victualling Office, the Public Lottery Office, the Hawkers and Peddler Office, the Hackney Coach Office, the Surveyor General of the Crown Lands Office, the Auditors of the Impressed Office, the Pipe Office, the Office of the Duchy of Lancaster, the Office of the Duchy of Cornwall, the Office of Ordnance, the King's Barge Master's House, the King's Barge Houses. Somerset House was still technically a royal palace and therefore crown property, with most work being done by the King's Master Mason, John Duval. By an earlier Act of Parliament, it had been placed in trust for the use of Queen Charlotte, in the event that her husband, King George III, predeceased her. Therefore, the 1775 Act annulled his arrangement and instead provided for another property, Buckingham House, to be vested in trust for the Queen on the same terms. Provision was made for the King, who had privately purchased Buckingham House some years earlier, to be duly compensated. In due course, the king outlived the queen, and the property, later known as Buckingham Palace, reverted to the use of his majesty, his heirs and successors. By virtue of the same act, Ely House in Holborn, which had itself been purchased just a few years earlier as a potential site for new public offices, was sold and the proceeds applied to the Somerset House project. Initially, a certain William Robinson, secretary to the Board of Works, was commissioned to build and design the new Somerset House, but he died in 1775 shortly after being appointed. So, Sir William Chambers, controller of the King's Works, who had in any case been vying for the commission, was appointed in his steed, at a salary of £2,000 a year. He spent the last two decades of his life, beginning in 1775, in several phases of building at the present Somerset House. Thomas Telford, then a stonemason, but later an eminent civil engineer, was among those who worked on its construction. One of Chambers' most famous pupils, Thomas Hardwick Jr., helped build parts of the building during this period of training, and later wrote a short biography of Chambers. 
the design influenced other great buildings. Charles Bullfinch's Massachusetts State House, began in 1795, has been described as a work, frankly, derivative of Somerset House. Chambers' own influence stemmed from Palladianism, the principles of which were applied throughout Somerset House, inside and outside, both in its large-scale conception and its small-scale details. The footprint in the building was that of the old palace, ranging from its gateway block in the Strand across what was originally a gently sloping site, down to the river. Chambers experimented with at least four different configurations of buildings and courtyards in drawing up his designs. His final version provided a single courtyard, 300 feet by 200 feet, flanked by a pair of terraces, the whole presenting a unified frontage to the river, 500 feet wide. Around the courtyard, each block consisted of six stories, cellar, basement, ground, principal, attic and garret. The public offices and learned societies which were accommodated around the courtyard varied greatly in size, but each occupied all six floors of its allotted area, the upper floors often providing living space for a secretary or other official. Large vaults for storing public documents were provided, extending under the entire northern section of the courtyard. The north wing, fronting the Strand, was the first part of the complex to be built. Its design was based on Inigo Jones's drawings for the riverfront of the former palace. By 1790, the north wing was finished and occupied, and Chambers reported to Parliament that the rest of the quadrangle was complete up to a height of two stories. Construction of the riverside wing followed. It was finished in 1786. At the time of construction, the Thames was not embanked and the river lapped to the south wing, where a great arch allowed boats and barges to penetrate the landing places within the building. Meanwhile, work continued on the east and west wings, which began to be occupied from 1788. By 1790, the main quadrangle was complete. It was originally envisaged that the main quadrangle would be flanked by two terraces of houses, one to the east and one to the west, providing accommodation for several of the commissioners whose offices were based there. It is not certain at what pace the rest of the construction progressed, but it is clear that the outbreak of the war with France in 1793 caused delays through the lack of money. Chambers died in 1796, whereupon James Wyatt took over as architect. In the end, only the western terrace was built, and by 1801 the building was deemed to be complete, at a cost of £462,323. In 1815, Sir Robert Smirk was appointed as the attached architect to Somerset House. In 1817, he added the Legacy Duty Office to the northwest corner of the quadrangle, his design in keeping with Chambers' adjacent facade. Even as late as 1819, decorative work to the exterior of the North Wing was still being completed. In addition to applying a rich scheme of architectural decoration, Chambers enhanced the exterior of Somerset House with a multiplicity of sculptures and other visual embellishments. Giovanni Capriani produced designs in the sculptures to execute them. Bacon oversaw the production of the bronze group of statues, consisting of Neptune and George III in the main courtyard, facing the main entrance from the Strand. Inside, most of the offices were plain and businesslike, but in the north wing, the formal rooms and public spaces of the learned societies were enriched with painted ceilings and ornamental plasterwork of classical sculptures. John Papworth did the plasterwork in the Great Royal Academy room, Many of the ceiling paintings were removed by the Royal Academy when they vacated their premises. So, I hope you've enjoyed our first part look at Somerset House, one of those buildings that so many people go by on the cars going over backwards and forwards over Waterloo Bridge or up and down the Thames, yet so many people don't really notice it's there, but yet it's got so much royal history, once one of London's royal palaces. Join us next week when we have part two.
If you'd like to make contact with us or suggest any other places you'd like us to feature in future podcasts, you can let me know through our website, londonvisited.co.uk, or through our social media. It really is that easy. Thanks for listening. Really hope you enjoyed the podcast, and we'll see you soon for the next one. Bye. Thanks for listening, and please don't forget to subscribe to get more shows direct to your device. Also, why not visit our London Visited YouTube channel to get even more of London. Catch you soon on the next one.